Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. Today's guest is Nick Dunn. Nick is a corporate professional with over 20 years in management and leadership positions with his current role with global insurance firm AON. So that Nick, that's, is it Anon or is it? Aon. Aon, thank you. As, and now Nick performs a, a role as their operations, projects and facilities manager for Queensland Northern Territory. Nick also travels nationally project managing design and construction new office sites for the company as well as being the, their lead for disaster recovery and business continuity. Nick has also been volunteering with the SES, and this is how I come to know Nick, uh, for nearly 10 years and is currently a deputy local controller with the Brisbane unit occasionally backfilling their local controller position when required. Nick has a passion for developing leaders and has created a leadership coaching program for new and emerging leaders within the SCS, which is available to all volunteers to help with their own leadership development. Nick is well known as an innovator and intuitive problem solver with a strong empathetic leadership ethos and culture that includes nurturing, confidence, empowerment, openness, and inclusion within the people that he leads and works alongside. An avid triathlete challenging his own abilities, both physically and mentally, is one catalyst for Nick wanting to help others grow and be the best SES member they can be. Nick's favourite quote mirrors his attitude towards developing people, being, if you're not making someone else's life better, you're wasting your time. And I would say, Nick, that's one thing that probably has you and I aligned. And maybe while I'm sitting here with you today, have this podcast because I see so many things in you that I believe in myself and I look forward to the work that we've started and where we might end up with it. Now, when I approached Nick, I said, Nick, I'd like to do a podcast on how we can get people to shift away from old leadership practices to maybe a, a more contemporary approach and of course, I was glad that you said, yes, Andrew, I'd love to do that. What's your motivation for wanting to make that shift? I think at this stage, for all the time I've been in the SES, I started as a community member like all of our members did. And because I'd come from a leadership background already, I was immediately identifying good leadership qualities in the SES and poor leadership qualities in the SES. And talking with the people that I started with, as community members in our first six or 12 months. And we lost a few, and a few of them left because of the culture. A few of them left because they, they weren't happy with the way they were being treated. And, and I'll, I'll admit it straight up, I, I made a change two years into my career because of the way I was being treated as a member. And, and, was, and this is not necessarily just something that's in SES. I would suggest that within society and organisations, this is not uh, uncommon. No, no, not at all. Yeah. It, it's... One of the things in, in the SES is we often don't get to choose our leaders. Yeah. Our leaders are volunteers and our leaders are the ones who put their hand up to say, I want to do this. One of the things that we don't or haven't done well in the past is support our leaders when they take on these roles to give them the idea of what leadership really is. So 
when we talk about poor leadership in the past, that's just my opinion of what poor leadership is, not necessarily what poor leadership in general would be according to the masses. So from my understanding of what leadership is, which is a people-first culture, uh, it, it took a while for me to come around to thinking we can make a change. And, and we're seeing good leaders coming through now in the last half a decade or so. So that gave me the idea that we can make a change with our new and emerging leaders coming through and give them all of the confidence and all of the leadership information and knowledge that they would need to be seen as a, a good leader yeah. within the SES. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, the cultural shift in, in corporate organisations in the last probably decade or two decades. It's become more people-centric. It, it, it has been. Yeah. And there's so many leadership courses that are out there. There's like leadership programs that are out there. I've been in a number of leadership programs. Every colour. Every colour, every shape, every size. There's every, so much. Every, every yeah. colour, every yeah. shape, every size. And I, one, one of them told me that I was a green leader. We, we had to look at yeah, a green leader, a red leader. We, we, we love leader. to put people in little, um, you know, packets or little shapes. So the, the, the good thing about that is green was probably my favourite colour. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's all right. I so, like how that arrived. Hey, just the simple notion, something that I've still not worked out what the situation is. I see, and I look at our own organisation, we're not unlike any other organisation that we've got functional uh, systems, we've got dysfunctional systems. We've got functional policy, we've got dysfunctional policy. And I see in our world that even though we've got that constant right across the organisation, we have these pockets where, because, and I think it's because of local leadership, they make it work. So they somehow achieve to fight, uh, despite the, the system. Is this something you've ever thought about? For me, it's quite interesting and, and I want to understand, well, what is it that allows that team to still achieve even though they're working in the same environment as the whole organisation? What, what's, what's your observation on that? The structure within the organisation, um, and I'll talk from an SES point of view where all my experience is, the structure in the organisation is such that if you went from one group to another, you're looking at the same vehicles, same assets, same logistics, same uniform. So it, it, it's very, very similar from one area to the other. The difference then is the people that are managing those groups and then we need to make sure or, or understanding where those people are coming from. So where you talk about the uniformity, we're probably not seeing the uniformity the way that you'd want to in a, a proper and corporate organisation. So you're talking in terms of leadership, uniformity or consistency in leadership, is that what you're talking about? Well, it, it comes back to a, a really simple term is we don't choose our volunteers, our volunteers yeah, choose true. us. So true. Yeah. So, and our, our, we don't choose our leaders. Often our leaders choose to be leaders to help out. Or um, they're the only one who puts their hand up. The only one who put their yeah. hand up. Yeah. So what we get is we get people in leadership roles from completely different backgrounds and some from, from backgrounds that are completely contrasting from leadership and management altogether. But the structures that we have in place, and this is the thing that brings it a lot together, is the, the structures that are in place, some of the guides that are in place, handbooks that are in place, all allow us to bring leadership principles or management principles more so that everyone can rely yeah, so on. So we're striving for consistency through knowledge and application. So yeah. when, when we get into, when, when we go out and we do a, a search, you can work under three or four different field commanders and you'll get... And it should be the same. It's just about the same. Yeah. The thing that's not the same is the attitude of the field commander on the day. It depends on how they are in the morning, how they woke up, did they get a good night's sleep, are they the right person for the job? So there's a lot of attitudes in relation to that, and that's the difference between and we're managing... And probably, we're probably all lived that. 
yeah, in, in our in our, in our professional life for you, your professional life and your life, your life as a volunteer. I, I see it in my back of my own life and think I've learned many good things from good leaders. And then I thought, well, I've learned some things from leaders who didn't necessarily meet what I needed in a uh, in a leader at that point in my life. It's pretty loose, I think. My impression is that you're seeking to get a bit more rigor around exactly what the leadership standards are, what are the best tools we can use or how we're helping to apply different theories quite pragmatically into a group of people. What things are going to stop us in this shift of trying to move away from old thinking leadership practices to something a bit more contemporary? And, And I do want to think about it. I do want us to talk about how we need to protect the good leadership practices that exist now. So it's not for me just to jettison the whole thing. It's almost like we need a a sift to try to keep the good stuff and then jettison, and that's the word I keep coming back to, the the things that are harming us. You got any thoughts about those points? I do. And the, the one word that I keep coming back to is complacency, complacency around leadership. And the reason for that is that Within our organisation, our leaders will continue to go to fall back on the old habits that they were comfortable with, the habits that they might have brought into the organisation in the first place because that's what they're used to in their corporate background or their, their blue-collar background or their trade background or, or whatever background they might have come from. And to be frank, that's a very human yeah, trait. Yeah, it is. Trait. Yeah. So what we need to be seen to be doing is the word culture needs to be front and centre all the time. It, it's got to be the, the one word that's spoken about almost daily, every session, every time people come together talking about positive culture. What sort of culture do we want? We have got some good culture around the unit, but we've also got some poor culture uh, around the SES as well. Unfortunately, the poor culture dilutes the good culture. So there's a bit of a clash in there, but there's nothing really to support those that are bringing good culture, positive attitudes until yeah, now, I, I, I refer to this as being it's a wild, wild west or the law of the jungle. Unfortunately, uh, we're not evolved yet to a, a point where we know that a new developing leader is going to be supported in certain ways and we can take we can have a high degree of confidence that's going to be quite systemic or a systematic way. My experience has been that you know, some people are fortunate that they, they get exposed to a good leader or good leaders early in their career or volunteering life. And it has such a big effect on them. And I reflect on my own life and I could sit here and name probably two or three people who were fundamentally affected the uh, attitude that I took to certain things in my life. And, I, and, and that's where I try to keep an attitude of gratitude to use that expression because it's, it, I know now why I've had the benefit of that. And yet I see conversely that there are people who don't get that and that's tough. That's tough when they, they have to do it alone. So what's your thoughts? Well, it's, it's really important to remember that all, from, from my perspective, all of the leaders that we have in the state emergency services, not only here in Brisbane, but from other areas that I've been associated with and, and people that I know, all our leaders have their heart and their head in the right place. I would agree with that. They're all great. Intention's generally good. They're all great leaders. The problem that we have coming through is whilst they're the ones putting their hand up to say, I'll be the leader, they they don't get to choose the people that they're leading. And then they've got to understand, and here's where there's a big gap, 
we haven't taught our new leaders, our, our current leaders, in part, how to manage so many different personalities that they've got to deal with. And every every group, every unit and every region has got scores of different personalities that just have different attitudes from the poorest of poorest attitudes to the, the most outrageously positive attitudes and everything in between. So our, our leaders struggle with the one size doesn't fit all. How do I work with this person at this end and still in the next minute work with this person at this end? So we've got our great leaders that are being conflicted and sometimes the culture comes out because of the people that they have to lead. So to build something not just for leaders but to build something that everybody can get involved with, new leaders, emerging leaders, even people who don't want to be leaders but just want to understand more about where the culture is. Yeah, that's an really important distinction because I, I do hear when people talk about leaders or leadership, I find myself... I ask them, are you talking about former leaders here or are you talking about leadership traits that can be demonstrated informally by any member of the team? So I think it's an important distinction. Yeah. I need to challenge you a little bit. I have gotten to a point now where I think there's going to be a balance between uh, what we give versus what we uh, would expect a leader to take responsibility for in terms of their own development. And, and given that you and I both agreed previously that uh, leadership by its nature is such a personal, reflective journey, is there going to be a challenge with, with, with us providing or seeking to provide either education or knowledge about leadership to people who maybe are not reflective enough to understand that it applies to them or it might apply to them? Is that a challenge for us? It, it can be, but the terminology just needs to be realigned a little bit. When yeah. you talk about responsibility, yeah. immediately people are thinking about their group, that they, they the facilities that they're at, the people that they're responsible for, yeah. the, the, what the people do that they're responsible for. So whilst I look at responsibility as being a management trait, yeah. I look at accountability as being a leadership yeah, trait. That's good. Yeah, it's a good way of saying it. Yeah. If our leaders started to understand what accountability is, and that's a accountability is a, a big, big part of the program that we've written. But if our leaders understand what they're accountable for and look at themselves first and take accountability for their, their own attitude, their own actions, and what they say to others. It's easy to say, Nick, that stuff, though. It is easy to say. It's, it's easy. And, and even I'll sit here and acknowledge that. I still have to check myself well, on, on my attitude or my response to something that's happened either around me or I'm involved, not involved, maybe I'm observing it. I believe it's such a it's something that you have to work on so hard that I think, well, here I am, and I don't think I'm a person who's become more aware of myself and things more broadly through hard work. However, I still need to catch myself sometimes where I'll either make an assumption or I will judge something too quickly. How do we help our leaders with that, that journey to become more self-reflective? To get our leaders to be more self-reflective, we've got to set some proper key performance indicators. We don't really, we've got some, we've got some soft KPIs around the state emergency services across the state. And one of the reasons for that is we're not paid, we're volunteers, we're putting in our own time and we all get that. But once you step into a leadership role, whether it be from a, a team leader, whether you've got three, three stripes, the old, the old team leader, leading field officer, into a deputy group leader, certainly, but into a group leader role. Once you step into that, you can't hide behind that I'm just a volunteer anymore. You're a volunteer second, you're a leader first. 
because you're now accountable for everything you do as a leader. You're now accountable for the people that you're leading. You're accountable for the, the group that you're meeting in. You're accountable for the vehicles that you drive. Not just responsible for managing that, but you're accountable yeah, for see. every action that comes yeah. from that. I, I see this, and this is one of the things that I think leaders, once they realise they generally get appointed or anointed or they're the only one who puts their hand up and for a while there they go, this is pretty good, this is pretty cool being a leader. And then all of a sudden I've seen the penny drop where people go, oh, my goodness, I'm accountable for not just my actions but the actions of the team or the or the group or you know, whatever. It's really quite a moment for people when they realise that oh, now I understand what I signed up to. So and you, I imagine you see that both in your professional life and in volunteer life. Let's let's go a little bit deeper on that. Not only is it when a leader in a leadership role go, oh, I'm accountable for things now, and they start realising what they're what they're doing and what they need to do to achieve. They've got three years to do it. Now, personally, I think you've got to, to to be a genuinely good group leader. You've got to do two terms, six years. The big problem that our leadership have is the attitudes of some of the, the more senior people that have been around for a while that don't want to step into leadership, but they want to destabilise those that are in leadership. So it's like a power play. In, in a yeah, way. yeah, if you like, because yeah. they're, they're still volunteers and they've yeah. got nothing to lose. So they can they can complain about leaders, they can send emails off about this leader looked at me the wrong way or yeah. said the wrong thing or I don't like the way they, they, their attitude tonight or things like that. And they can destabilise that. From the safety of the back seats. Exactly. And that's that's a real challenge. That, that is a real problem for, for our, our leaders and particularly our current leaders as, as the culture shift if, if we can move the culture forward into a positive way, then what it'll end up doing is it, it'll help our current leadership, but it'll also dilute the attitude of, of some of those destabilisers that we've got around the place. Yeah. And, and we, we have them in you know, in corporate world. I've worked in many industries where you've had staff that just aren't interested and you just they've got to be destabilised. You know, they're going to destabilise anything to do with you know whatever's going on around them. Yeah, And that, been- that's, that's a big problem. And problem with the SES is we can't manage those people well enough because we don't have proper performance, key performance indicators. So when you, when you mean key performance indicators, are you, are you talking indicators around the people element of the business? Are you talking about how, uh, is it as simple as uh, how satisfied people are in that group of being given clear direction and you know, being empowered. These are things that you think that we should be tracking better. Is that what you say? Yeah, we've we've done we've tried KPIs in the past that have been some have been hard KPIs, so they're absolutely tangible. Yeah. And then there've been soft KPIs about retention and membership attitudes and, and things like that. We it's I, I'm, I'm not going to get into recruitment or retention. Or, I mean, oh, we, so we could have an whole podcast separately on that. We we have no trouble yeah. recruiting. Yep. We have no trouble getting people in the door, and our, our retention is certainly getting better because our our attitudes and our cultures are getting better, and, and our leaders are getting better, and our leaders are understanding people do come first, yeah. as and opposed to what it might have been well before I joined. And I should acknowledge because uh, there are listeners uh, for this podcast who come from the more remote areas of Queensland where I know that we don't have, you know, that those areas don't have the benefit of a big population base. So I've got to acknowledge that uh, Brisbane unit doesn't have some of the challenges that we have in other places. I'm just conscious of time. I, I wanted, before I go into the five questions, which is a standard thing that I do with every guest, I want to get your perspective on what I've found is the longer I play in leadership or operate as a leader, uh, good or bad, the more I 
come to know some things to be true. And certainly I do refer to some Oxford research which talks about three key elements for success as an individual either in life or within a business or volunteering. And this research talks about how if an individual's got self-awareness, if they've got social awareness and they're able to self-regulate, then the chances of them being successful in whatever role is going to grow or is going to rise greatly. What's your view on those three elements? So so self-awareness, social awareness and self-regulation. You got any comments on that? Self-regulation is probably the most important one. There's not many, not everyone's going to be socially aware because they're not socially comfortable. Yeah. But self-regulation is a really important one. And I'll, I'll go back to being a triathlete. Discipline and self-regulation around doing that because I, I, I'm not part of a club. I do all my own training and I don't have a training program and, and I, I train when I can, when, when time is available to me. What I do from that is I, I, I then fit everything else around that, which means I've, I've my, my work come is first, my training and then everything else. So I've got to regulate myself around everything else. So I'm already in that mindset. So particularly when I get to the state emergency service and when I need to be involved with, with that, at training uh, or activations or meetings or, or whatnot, I've already got a really strong mindset about where I'm at, what I'm doing, what I need to do within that area. And sometimes it might mean not saying a word, just sitting and listening and, and just allowing everything else around to, to happen. It doesn't, yeah, also, it doesn't always mean that I need to have a say. It's a real learned skill. And probably one of, the, one of the things that I've still got work to do on when to inject and when to give something more space. And before we start this podcast, so we're talking about the benefits that come from not reacting to an issue too quickly and that giving yourself some time uh, may bring you elements of a solution that you didn't have initially. Now, let's get into the five questions. Now, with these five questions, I say to guests that it's not a big answer, it's a long answer. It's probably going to be something that comes into your mind. And if I probably ask you the question three times over three weeks, you'd probably give me a different answer. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So let's go. The first question is, what do you wish you really understood? Uh, there's a lot globally that you'd want to understand and, and a lot a lot globally that you'd want to try and be more involved with somehow. But the, the one thing that I came back immediately when I, when I think about that is the most mind-boggling thing on the planet is astrophysics and quantum physics. And I, I, I want to, I'd love to know more about it. I just can't get my head around it because it's, it's ridiculously outrageous. But listening to people like Neil deGrasse Tyson talk so candidly about astrophysics just makes it sound so simple. Yeah, I, I need to acknowledge here, I'm a big uh, Richard Feynman fan and yeah, listeners, if you want to understand a bit more about physics but present it in a way which allows people to understand, then um, uh, Degrassi is an example and so is uh, Feynman. So that's a, a good answer. The second question is, what do you wish that other people understood about you? I'm pretty comfortable with what people understand about me now. I'm, I'm pretty face value. Probably the, the one thing that people need to understand is that I accept that I've got flaws. I accept that I don't do the right thing. I accept that I take accountability when things go bad and, and look at ways of, of doing it better. And, and often what you see at the forefront is the product of a lot of work that goes on in the background. So from, from what I want others to see or, or understand about me, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm pretty comfortable with where they're looking. It's more about my self-reflection and, and what I need to, to... So it's a bit of what you see is what you get. 
plus an acknowledgement that it's like the duck on water, you know, the legs are going crazy underneath working on yourself. I've, I've worked hard to get into yeah. a space where I'm very flexible with the people around me. So I accept everybody's personalities. I accept everybody's version of what they need to tell me. I, I, I accept everybody for everything. And then it's my job then to work out how that fits in with yeah, yeah. my thinking. Size it, how, how to process it. Yeah, great, great answer. The next question is, what type of leader do you prefer? And I, and I appreciate this is a pretty broad question. Probably because I've done a lot of self-reflection over the years as a leader myself, I'm at the stage where I want a leader to be direct. I, I want them just to be very candid with whatever they're going to tell me, however they're going to be. That, that doesn't suit everybody. A lot of people like a soft leader. I, I prefer a leader to just, I know where I stand. And if I know where I stand, then I can ask questions about where they want me to be. But to make that successful, that leader's got to be accountable for all their good decisions, all their bad decisions and everything that they say. With that answer that you're looking for some, for a leader to be direct, where's the line fall in terms of direct versus maybe offensive? Me personally, I don't have a line at all. Yeah. The, the line is 100%. I don't mind how you try and explain to me what you're trying to explain. I don't mind your body language. I don't mind the tone in your voice and I don't mind some of the words that you need to fill gaps with. I know that in that there's going to be a message. So I've been very lucky to condition myself to a point where I don't react and I'll listen and then when you finish talking, I'll start asking questions. And that's, that's probably something people struggle with me because I, if, if I've got somebody trying to get a rise out of me, I, there's no it's reaction. It's not going to happen. I, yeah. I, just, I yeah. just stay calm and wait for them to finish it out. Yeah. So everyone's got a line. Nobody likes, likes to be spoken to. So in, in, in years past, one of the things I, I, I did 10 years of debt collection, managing debt collectors, and one of the things that I hated to hear was, if you don't stop swearing, I'm going to hang up the phone. Yeah. And my first question was, why did you hang up the phone? They wanted to pay. No, but they were swearing at me. Okay. So that got me into a mindset of you've just got to forget what they're saying. Oh, we, we could talk about yeah. and, and I didn't know about I didn't know that about you in terms of your previous professional uh, chapters of your life. And we could talk about that in to some uh, depth, I'd imagine. The next question, in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. It's asked a lot, that question, um, all, all the time, and often the answer is different every single time. When I was younger, I, I distinctly remember the time, place, and the person, and I was I was in my, in my teens and I was talking myself up around football, about how good a footballer I was. And in the car on, my way, on the way home, my mother said, gee, you talk about yourself a lot. <laughs> Did you think to ask any questions? <laughs> and that just stayed with me forever. Yeah. And I still talk about myself a lot and, and people will say that's all I like to talk about. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. still ask a lot of questions. But it gave me a reflection on what would I give myself as a, a younger version and what, what advice would I give myself as a younger version. And it was probably be more consultative with the people around me as I was growing up, as I was making decisions. Because when I reflect back now, so many different things, good and bad, would have been so different if I had have just simply said to somebody, hey, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? And I never did that. I always thought I was because I, I grew up pretty much on, yeah, on my it, own. It, as a, it's such a powerful moment when you realise that you don't have to do this stuff alone. And I talk about that all the time with leaders and remind them that 
Yeah, if you want to, if you want to choose, if you choose for this to be a lonely journey, that's your choice. However, you can engage people, you can collaborate, you can consult, uh, and there's limits around that stuff. In the end, we've got to make decisions and get on. However, uh, I do believe in the power of uh, including people and the, the, uh, the developing the solution you're trying to solve. It's pretty powerful. Nick, the final question is: If you had a magic wand, what's an ability you would give current leaders in our sector right now? Outside of anything that Superman has, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think I would give any of our leaders. Any abilities. I think we've got some across the board. Our leaders are very special people because of what they do, how they do it, and who they're doing it for within the yeah. SES. I would, I would wave the wand and take away the ability to be negative, the yes. ability to yes. argue, the ability to yes. be berating, yes. the the ability to not be able to communicate. I would take all of those negative things away from all our leaders, and you know what you've got left? Great people leading a great organisation. Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, that's probably one of the best answers I've had. That brings us to the end. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. I know that we share some similar values with the leadership challenges that we have in front of us and how we can develop that cohort of leaders who are going to look after the place after people like you and I have have moved on. Thank you for your service as a SCS volunteer. I enjoy saying that to volunteers and I mean it uh, sincerely. The impact you have on people, either individually or collectively in terms of a community is profound and that should be acknowledged. So before we wrap up, any final comments? If, if there was a person listening right now and they're wondering about what, what they can do right now to help them on their leadership journey, what's a, a quick snippet of, advice or a thought that you might, you might want to leave with them today? There's two things, I think, and one would be immediately go to the mirror, look at yourself in the mirror and go, I am a good volunteer and the rest will follow. Yeah. The second part is, and part of what we're talking about, have, to, have spoken about is a leadership coaching program that's, yep. that's been in development for the last yep. couple of years. And it's a matter of any anyone who wants to learn more about that and challenge themselves can can put themselves through the coaching program because it's it can be self-learning. It can be learning one-on-one or learning in a group environment. We've got several different levels of it. Um, and it's just a matter of reaching out to myself. Um, and, and, to, and for the listeners, uh, to me too. Uh, so if you're interested in the content that lies within the work that Nick's describing, then uh, yeah, get a message to me or to Nick. And we'll get you access because this is something that's been developed and uh, kudos to, to Nick and the people around him who have helped because I'd imagine it's not been just yourself, it's been others who have jumped in with you. It's something that we can give to others now to help their leadership journey be just a little bit easier. And I do use a, the term avoiding the potholes that I got to step into or that others have stepped into. That's the for me the mission of a leader is to make that path behind us just that little bit easier. So Nick, I think you're someone who's doing that and is trying your darndest to affect leadership in a, a really good way. And I appreciate your time and I'll uh, look forward to where we end up with, with all this. Uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you in and, and sitting with the esteemed company with the oh, rest of the podcast. You, you are too. Done. You are too kind, sir. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you.